0: and welcome back to Literally Literary. If this is your first time joining us, be sure to check out our previous episodes. This episode, we will continue our discussion on Citizen Illegal by Jose Olivares. Last episode, we continued the discussion focusing on some of our favorites from the first two sections. This episode, we will focus on the third section of the collection.
1: Yo. Cool. So section three, uh, is a section we wanted to uh, look at in isolation uh, instead of just looking at two sections because um, I think it does have a lot uh, in it, and it kind of um, you know to me it kind of represents a turning point for the collection.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know what you guys see, you know, but uh, yeah,
3: I mean, I think it, it. I think as we were saying in the the show before the show, the pre-show discussion, um, you know, this section definitely has. Poems that are, are tightly packed, you know, and I think have a lot to unravel and that are worth that's worthy of discussion. It gets very overtly p- political, you know, I mm-hmm. think in terms of uh, ra- race and um, ethnicity, you know, mm-hmm. nationality. So, yeah, definitely a lot to dive into for this section.
1: Yeah. And uh, we wanted to start off with um, Mexican Heaven since not only is that the first one, but... Uh, I think you know for Mexican Heaven it, it, in and of itself, right? It kind of represents its own turning point. But even just looking at the the first one, uh, Vanessa, what did you think of of um, the first Mexican Heaven in here?
0: I think it's very representative of like, I think the stereotypical way that people see Hispanics and Mexicans, particularly.
1: Mm-hmm. How how so? Um,
0: like. Well, it's just, it's focusing on, like, the idea that in order to get into heaven, it's to work. And I think that ties back into, like, what we were talking about last episode, where heaven kind of represents America.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the idea of, like, in order for the Mexicans to get into heaven, they have to work.
1: Mm-hmm. And and work hard at it, you know, that idea of, like, um, like you were saying about America representing heaven, like, if you work hard, you know, you'll, you'll not just get into the US, but like, achieve the American dream. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of interesting how it's kind of represented as a fantasy. Um, And, you know, it's kind of that idea, of like, the last two lines there of like, might, implying that it's not necessarily the case that that's going to happen, right? It's like, the the dream
3: yeah it's not a guarantee mm-hmm. yeah i i think this poem's a great intro piece for this entire section i feel like it's a, a microcosm of of that discussion of the you know mexican labor and and again like you said the mexican dream what does it mean what does it entail um jose later on uh draws on the, draws some really great lines uh, about this connection some of the later mm-hmm. poems.
1: And and Saint Peter again, right? It's kind of like you we were talking about last time, it's kind of like the immigration agent who decides, you know, who goes in, who who doesn't. Right. And just like you were saying, Vanessa, about and you all were saying about Mexican neighbor, you know, it's like, well, they get in, but they're they're gonna be working, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: again, it kind of another subversion of what we think of as heaven and uh you know especially right now when like there's going to be a lot of virtual zoom uh like easter celebrations for a lot of catholics Mm. um or you know the passover for others um is um you know that it's 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 still something that doesn't seem much different from you know the real the real world Mm. anything else about this one vanessa
0: I don't think so.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, the next one right after on 29, uh, the day my little brother gets accepted into grad school, to me was uh, the one in this section that stood out to uh, to me a lot. Um, I really like what Jose, or the speaker, I should say, uh, did here with um, um, the, the way that the story of his brother is told and narrated and ultimately comes around you know with like it, it's very well bookended mm-hmm. um and you know the way it starts in the second stanza with um the idea of of the brother the little brother you know throwing the cap and fluttering like a bird you know with the broken wing you know and, and just kind of the tragedy of or it's not tragedy but it's it's tragic right and it's sad that like when that lands my brother was still broken unemployed and um so that was for graduating from college and you know the the way that they celebrate is very subdued you know just a toast and very um meek and then uh in the second to last stanza uh i my strong lines there were where it says um, my brother is going to grad school, another promise, the familiar fluttering. Again, referencing back the fluttering of that bird in the beginning. Um, and it kind of ties in with Mexican heaven the because it's that idea of the American dream. But the American dream is realized by, you know, Mexican-Americans or immigrants of how you know they're graduating. There, there is being uh, it's a, it's a success, but it's still something that uh, doesn't necessarily lead to opportunities. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah I I wholeheartedly uh, agree with with your assessment there. Okay, um, those were in fact uh, some of the lines I drawn on as well, and and really again just just kind of the the contrast between the dream and the reality. Um, you know, again, dream referring to American dream, what what you can make yourself. You know, ideally, grad school is this idea, or just graduating college, right? Is supposed to be this this mm-hmm. big goal, but the reality for so many people is is what's said here, right? Broken and unemployed. Um, then you also mm-hmm. talk about amidst their celebration, um, it is very muted, right? And and you also have in the backdrop of of a city going through economic hardships. Um, or as he says, it's mm-hmm. being raised and the steel mills closing and foreclosures. And uh, this is the landscape in which we are trying to achieve our dream.
1: Yeah. And I think what's what you mentioned there about the, the environmental background of the yeah. city, um, to me, kind of, repre- you know, could represent, I mean, we talked about gentrification before, but I, I think this could also be like a white flight of, you know, the white population moving out and therefore, you know, um, that leading to um, a loss of like the businesses, right? You know, because they're, they're shutting down whatever they had, you know, they're moving their businesses elsewhere. Um, You know, it's very common in in cities like Detroit and other cities. Maybe, I I mean, I don't know too much about Chicago, but, you know, kind of that same reality, right? Of like, it either becomes gentrified or because of the white flight um, uh, they end up being very impoverished and uh, the school, the the schools, you know, don't get enough taxes and things like that, Mm. you know, that causes a lot of, a lot of economic disruption. So, yeah, I I thought that was really interesting too.
3: Yeah. This one was, this one uh, resonated with me a lot. Yeah. And also that it's grad school,
1: you know, I think grad school like is even more exclusive. Um, so it's kind of interesting that the little brother here, you know, the acceptance comes, and you know, it's it's still something that hasn't. We don't really get the the results of that, unlike the the graduating with a, from college. But you know, it's kind of represents that. Well, you know, they don't have a job, and so they're going to look at another opportunity yeah. through higher, you know, a masters. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I also like how he refers to uh, social media or in this case, he calls Facebook and he likens it to a digital block. In other words, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's where our, our community is and can be. So when he shares the good news, you know, you have obviously everyone, uh, flocking to give praise, you know, imaginary flowers. Um, and I like the way that that's set up almost like this, this fake world, Right, and in the end, you have like the reality, right, of of the vacant lot and the weeds and ordinary grounds and no magic. It's an interesting like uh, trajectory of the poem.
1: Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, Yeah, I mean that's a good contrast. Uh, Vanessa, did it? uh, Did it strike you like any strong lines from it?
0: Um, well, I think I interpreted it differently than you guys did because you said, um. (laughs) Well, when you mentioned the toast, you kind of said that it was like a minimal thing. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But when I read it, I kind of saw it as like, the parents are like celebrating it. And it's like this party kind of thing that they're having. Mm. And it's like all of this praise and all of this like joy that they're experiencing. Mm
2: -hmm. But he
0: still can't even afford a Happy Meal. Like he still hasn't even really completed what he's trying to do right but they're still praising him like you've done it you've made it you know what i mean right that's right. kind of how i saw it
3: mm. well there's still like the like the straining uh because they're praying too right i like the way and, mm. you know they are celebrating uh, yeah absolutely uh having some drinks and i even like the the humor infused in uh, a little bit and like uh, mom drinks when god blinks you know like yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah, that's a good point they they, they are yeah. it's important to be able to celebrate um as well
2: yeah
1: and then i think uh you know the the steel mail is something of the dad working in it is something that we see in another i think a couple other poems so you know it's kind of interesting how from a narrative perspective this is a poem that we see in different places in other poems mm.
2: Mm. yeah
1: yeah cuz I think uh I walk into every room and yell where the Mexicans at I love that 31 one. is yeah that one you know goes into the the fathers and the the, the working class you know uh Which, background you know, that he has
3: again the, that opening poem of Mexican heaven another reference to right of the of the labor
1: exactly uh but before we get to that one um I think we all liked uh, I tried to be a good Mexican son on thirty and Vanessa, I remember you had um, asked um, Jose about this one, um, so I was wondering what, what is it that drew you to this one
0: i well I like this whole idea of like what the expectations are when you're like a first gen in america mm-hmm. um and it's a lot like it's kind of what we talked about a lot, focusing on I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter, mm-hmm. so I kind of just saw the connection between. Those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was very different in what is expected of a son in comparison to the daughter.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Like the first line of this poem is, I even went to college. And in comparison to Erika's book, um, she's not expected to go to college. She's mm-hmm. expected to stay at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I thought that was really interesting.
1: Yeah, that that is really interesting in terms of the the gen, the prescribed you know gender roles for that's different you know for sons than it is for daughters, um, and uh, it's kind of interesting you know that both of these are also set in Chicago, you know, um, and even if Chicago is more in the background in this one. What else did you think about that in terms of um the way what does it mean to be a good Mexican son then hmm. would you would you say that like um you know so well when it seems like there's an expectation of college but like also a certain degree and uh even like the language he's speaking um his religious religiousness also mhm
0: And I also think that it's like, well, it's like this expectation of like, he's supposed to be the one having this million dollar job. And like, he's supposed to be having grandkids for his mom. Um, It's just a very different expectation, I think.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And were there lines in particular that uh, you wanted to highlight?
0: Mm, Well, (laughs) I I underlined... um, Went to a good college and learned depression isn't just for white people. Mm. And then I also underlined, sometimes my mom's texts get dusty before I answer.
2: Mm.
1: Why did you under, yeah, I underlined the the first one that you mentioned too, but why those in particular?
0: I think, well, um, the depression one, because a lot of people, like, especially like going to therapy and all of those, like that type of thing. Mm-hmm is considered like a white people thing and people of color typically don't. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think it's interesting that he mentioned that it's not just because like everyone is capable of experiencing these things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, if you all remember the the poem about the therapist, right. That mm-hmm. uh, we covered last time kind of uh touched. I like the intertextuality of this collection a lot. You know, how, like, one thing you see in one poem, you see in in a different way in another. And, um, but yeah, you really, you know, hit the knee on the head there in terms of uh, the expectations, not just of being a son, but of being Mexican. You know, and how he's kind of carving out his own territory by seeking out help, you know, for something that is considered part of white culture.
3: Mm -hmm. Richie, what did you think? I mean, I really like this one as well. One of the questions that I didn't really get to ask uh, when we talked to Jose is uh, how his parents felt about the fact that he wanted to, you know, he went into, you know, literature writing, right? And so the speaker in this one, right, also has, he starts off with, I studied African American studies, right? Um, It it talks about that, right, which isn't the law or the medicine or the business, which I think has... um, Already that connotation of of again what are what are your parents' expectations of you and and the poems filled with them you know what what are the expectations and, and overall the the you know you see the the growing cultural gap between generations right um and of course there's just a lot of stuff that we identify i think here at least culturally from the every time he comes back, you know does he have the million dollar job or grandkids? Despite the widening gap, you know, of how he feels kind of guilty about these things, uh, you know, enough to write about it in the sense of speaker. Uh, in the end, you still have the comfort of mom's home cooked beans, you know, that 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 concern mm-hmm. of, you know, you look skinny, you know, and that's that's also something a lot of us can identify with is is, you know, how to sit down for a good second <laughs> and leave before a bad one. Mm mm-hmm. -hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I also like the aside from the, you know, the what you mentioned about the the family um, support that is still there regardless. You know, like in the second line, how uh, it ends with my mom still, my mom still loved me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I also like in the bottom half where it says um, Spanish deteriorating, English getting more vulgar. And, you know, what you said, Vanessa, at the beginning about being a first-gen immigrant is, uh, I think, very true with those lines because uh, it's, you know, what happens a lot, right, is just like with Julia and others, you know, that we've covered is a lot of immigrants lose those attachments to their home. And part of that is through the language. And... um, so he's getting more, you know, street smart and exposed to vernacular English, but yet uh, his connection to his uh, Spanish, you know, is is mm-hmm. falling apart.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know, it's another sign of again that the. I think I almost feel like the good mixed consent is something that should be in quotation marks. You know, kind of like a good man, uh, in a Flannery O'Connor sense, right? Of like you know well it whatever you think is good is really kind of relative because you know he's 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 good right like he's not like he hasn't lost his attachment it's just the way that he's you know still trying right and um uh and yet still kind of you know trying to um keep up with the changes and and the new world you know america that uh he's trying to balance
3: both basically man there's that word again balance yeah
1: (laughs) yeah because we've talked about that before right um you know in his other poems i think
3: yeah yeah definitely in the previous episodes for sure
1: did any of you have the next one then that i walk into everyone yeah i do yeah where the mexicans at
3: (laughs) do you (laughs)
1: Uh, I had a, I had a line or two, uh, but if you wanted to. uh, So, you
3: know, again, uh, you know, every poem in this section is, is, is so packed, you know, and that's one of the things I really, I really appreciate about, about poetry, you know, or this kind of, uh, form of expression because there, there's so many images Mm -hmm. to unpack and, uh, all of us come to our, their own understanding and meaning through that way. But, uh, here you also see uh the speaker dealing with with again once once again another juxtaposition of of him socializing in you know a place he normally again he's trying to look for himself right and he's and he talks about again the the you mentioned the dad working at the steel mill right um and how that kind of comes up in conversation during during the party. Um, and the way he discusses, uh, I think it's it's very interesting the way we kind of speculate on people. That is, you know, he mentions the way he describes the white women in this in this particular poem. Right? There's uh, a liberal a white woman, and he says that she she tells me she voted for Hillary and wishes Bernie won the nomination, which I think is an interesting pers- interesting thing to come up in conversation. Um, and then you have this this other lady. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: even though she doesn't bring up politics. He, he's You know, he speculates she might have voted for Trump. You know, smiles. How lucky? You know, how lucky I am. That's kind of like the line that is at the exterior of the poem, but in the interior, you know, you have this mm. this kind of inner thought of of again seeing what, what, how do people see him? Right, and he mentions Taco Bell, um, every other commercial, and then of course, as we know, Taco Bell isn't representative at all of. Of authenticity when it comes to Mexican food. And and so <laughs> I I really like the line when he says, All my people fold into a two dollar crunch wrap supreme. In other words, the way in which um and, and again, this kind of even goes to the, the opening poem, Citizen Illegal. Even though it's not through language, it's through through culture, through images, right? How how we all perceive each other. And so he's he's looking for this identity, yeah. but he sees his his dad singing a a, a love song, kind of like a jaded love song, but he's singing it to America. It's like an illusion once again. And um before that I, I, I mean there's there's a lot to break down, like I said. Um, here he is in New York City, and really the first person he kind of comes across that looks like him is is the the guy working the the event, right? The waiter pushes through you know, carrying hors d'oeuvres and, and even though he's not singing it, I, I, a lot of us can enjoy the way, you know, a song escapes. <laughs> Selena sings, ai, ai, como me duele, right. And, and the whole time you have this, this, this thing that the white woman says that that's still hasn't been addressed. Right. Where she says, you're lucky. And, and it says a good, wa- a good white woman waits for me to thank her. Um, Uh. There's a lot to unpack with this one, and I think there's a very interesting. Uh, I think it's it's a re- reference to Narcissus, maybe. I don't know if there's any other um, parallel, mm. right? But talking about he, how he stares in the mirror if he gets too lonely. That's like early on in the poem. It says, "I stare in the mirror if I get too lonely, mm. thirsty to see myself. I once walked into the lake until I almost drowned." Um. Mm. But that's kind of maybe you know because narcissist is, is kind of I think another theme. But in this sense, again, he's he's looking for that connection um, of of home mm-hmm. and and what he's familiar with. Mm. Yeah. So so anyway, this is another yeah. poem f- filled with contrasts and and again identity how how we see each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you made a yeah, good Yeah, no, we talk there. a lot, huh? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, I'll, I'll just um, to me, even just the title, you know, I think it speaks to um, the feeling of uh, alienation that us immigrants, or those of us who are immigrants, or you know,
2: yeah.
1: not the majority, in other words, um, feel yeah. when we go somewhere you know, uh, whether it be like a conference, and I know I've talked about that before, you know, anywhere else but at Basel. And, um, you know, because you do want to feel like you're not the only one, you know, and it's kind of, it reminded me, to me this poem reminded me of Get Out, Mm. Um, you know, the same way that he feels like, you know, everyone's staring him down because they were you know uh because he's black Mm -hmm. and uh the protagonist and um here i see the white woman also as um kind of the one who uh has the facade you know of like they're liberal but you know deep down like because the, the vote is private you know they're gonna end up voting for trump and um you know, so the the idea that you can't really trust them because of that, um, you know, because they'll see one thing in public, but in private, they're really, you know, doing something else that's supporting white
3: supremacy. Yeah, and, and also it's it just kind of maybe leading um, into also to, again, that social fakeness that uh, I mentioned in the previous poem of like mm-hmm. kind of Facebook and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but here it's also that same thing, like social talk, polite conversation.
1: yeah. Uh and then with the dad, you know, I, I like the invisible labor of like drive a car that goes mm-hmm. and stops because of something my dad makes. You know, uh so whether it's like car parts or like um food, you know, like agricultura, like all the crops and fruits and veggies, you know, that immigrants raise, uh, is all that invisible labor. Uh that the the white uh population ends up of course benefiting from but not recognizing uh vanessa what did you think of this one
0: i mean i definitely feel like it's has that sense of like being homesick um that you guys kind of touched on um i like the line where it says that there's not too many mexicans in this part of new york city i don't i mm-hmm. wouldn't say that i like it i like it but i don't like it yeah. um it's just this whole idea of like I think that you expect to find certain types of people in certain types of places. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it just kind of really like ties in this whole idea of like, he wants to be with his people, but he's here in this city where there's not a lot of his people.
1: Yeah. And, uh, kind of what also to add to that, what Richie said about, well, the only one who's there, who's like him is the, 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 the one who's just actually working there, right. The waiter. And again, it reminds me of Get Out, because if you guys have seen it, you know, there's that scene where he approaches someone who's Black at the at the gathering, you know, because they have, like, a little uh, celebration. And uh, that other person is, like, all zombied out. You know, he's, like, in the second place. And uh, so it's, it's a very awkward encounter, to say the least. Um, but it kind of reminds me of that, you know, because, like, you you actually don't have someone to mingle with, you know, uh, because they're in this case, they're working
2: here. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think lastly, the, the good white woman is a good Mm -hmm. contrast to the good Mexican son. You know, I don't know if that's intentional, you know, but I think, you know, here it's a much more ironic, good, like quote unquote, good white woman, um, than it is in the other one of the good Mexican son. Yeah. Did any of you have, um, mexican-american obituary the next one
3: this one's pretty heavy as well i just think talking about contemporary yeah. race politics and not even contemporary right because i think there's a lot of references to once again to the past uh, of the u.s in indiscretions in terms of uh mm. race relationships that of course i think um you know sla- again we talk about slavery and treatment of indigenous native americans um uh, in this case, you have the characters of Juan, Lupe, Lorena, uh, becoming American. Um, you know it, their struggles. Really, um, I think the line "serving crackers at a picnic while a strange wind swung through the branches carrying names" um, to me that's just to a reference to to what I was speaking about right now. The again, you you see the labor serving the white people. Again, he uses. The mm-hmm. derogatory term "crackers," um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you know, depending on your your point of view, can be you know funny or offensive, but uh, <laughs> um, but I think you know there's a little bit of reference to maybe even lynching. I think I think of strange fruit when I read that line. Exactly, mm-hmm. the strange wind swung through the branches. The branches. Um, I think you you see that that ghosts mm-hmm. haunting the lines of this poem, um, but it's not just a ghost it's a reality right uh like the, the killing the constant killing of people of color mm-hmm. black neighbors and relatives um you know and, and also how it's not their fault and he specific explicitly mentions this Juan mm-hmm. died saying it was none of his business Lupe died believing their degrees would have saved them or would have would saved them um Lorena died after loading the gun and handing it over to the policeman who aimed it at her whole family um Again, this is talking about something more systemic. And and as I mentioned in the pre-show, um, these string of poems, I think, all build a crescendo to, to this second Mexican heaven. But we'll, we'll get to that. But this one struck me as a very, very heavy and sad poem yeah. for these reasons.
1: Yeah, like you said, I mean... Um, uh very, very dark in that regard because of the of police violence and brutality that you know we talked about with uh way back last November with uh Hate You Give. Um no yeah but I think you know you made a very good connection there uh to Strange Fruit and um I like also how the speaker here chooses not to capitalize Trump, you know, but does capitalize Juan Lupin Lorena. Yeah. Um you know, I remember you, Vanessa, had asked him about you know capitalization and proper nouns of some things that are not capitalized and some things that are. Um, so I kind of want to go back to that now and kind of listen to his answer again.
3: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's like the whole thing about. The fact that we had them on, like as we listen as you guys listen to this episode, listeners, uh, we rarely address you, but hi listeners. Uh yeah, go back to that, <laughs> that uh interview and and uh, he you know, the way he discusses these things. But I'm glad you pointed that out too. Uh the, the capitalization in this poem.
1: Yeah. Um did you guys wanna go to uh, the next one, White Folks is crazy?
3: Well yeah, sure.
1: Uh Vanessa, you had mentioned that you had marked this one down, uh, but I can't remember if you said you had uh, strong lines from it.
0: Um, well, the last three lines, I think, are pretty strong. Um. Could you read them? Sure. Um, well, I'll start from, like, page 33, but, but also like, for the last context, two lines.
3: I think, um, it's transition. important to know that we have these two friends here sitting, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. I just, sometimes I just I, I want to introduce the context it's through a through a window. Oh, yeah. Right? They see yeah. a, a white guy wearing shorts in the cold weather. Yeah, and uh, that's pretty much the whole kind of the the point of the discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it starts off light hearted, kind of jokingly, right?
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and then, and of course, uh, in a in a well, again another turn, it points out another reality, which is I think you're lying, right, Vanessa?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I guess we could talk about the earlier lines of the poem also. Um, I think it's funny that they mentioned that they're wearing pajamas and their jeans. Um, and then they see this guy wearing shorts and they're like, I feel cold just looking at him. Yeah. Which is a phrase yeah. that I heard a lot. <laughs> um, like the, Like, I feel it just looking yeah. at them. Like that phrase mm-hmm. is something I heard a lot growing up. Um, and then I guess, well, they look back at the TV and it kind of ends up with them saying, um, on second thought, white folks on TV kill people every day and they don't seem to feel a thing. And so it's kind of like this idea of like white people don't really feel things.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the contrast, right. Of, um, you, like you were saying that. You know, they gotta feel cold. You know, um, by dressing like that. But here, it, like you were saying, Richie, it, it turns dark, right, and it becomes about the 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 cold-blooded nature.
3: Even the you know, apathy.
1: Uh, apathy as well, yeah. And um,
3: yeah, I mean, I think this is a way of connecting to the previous poem once again. Mm-hmm. Where you know, even just in this normal casual conversation uh, or or not conversation uh, interaction mm-hmm. in in the terms of just passing someone on the on the street that uh you know this, this apathy um can be a very is a very dangerous thing in fact um when i teach uh ellie night uh one of my uh my writing journals that i do is is uh, i have my students reflect on a quote from from Weasel and it 's um he talks about the opposite of love. Have you, have you read, have you guys heard that quote or read it? I think I have. Yeah. He, he says the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference, you know, and um, in these, in these contexts mm. of, again, in these, all, all these poems, he's building up the, the way in which racism is systemic, you know, in which you have whites, over people of color and in the form of police killings and uh, their economic realities and and understanding the rage that goes behind this reality for so many people.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And kind of what you're hinting at is that it doesn't even have to be literal, you know, like they don't literally have to shoot someone. I think it can also be systemic, Mm -hmm. you know, by denying uh, benefits or, you know, um, denying a certain job, denying housing, you know, a lot of the structural racism that we've talked about yeah. um, is another way of you know killing uh, minorities.
3: Yeah, and I think that's a very important discussion on race to be had, especially in the context of, of this book and these in these poems, uh, because I think that if you were to have, you know, I'm sure, and I'm sure this happens to Jose when he reads his book and read it in, in, uh, in public readings mm-hmm. that, uh, well, actually the next poem, I think would be the the poem. Right. And I know we could talk about that first, but there's a, a line there once again, another, another turn, another shift that I feel people wouldn't be happy with. But I think, like I said, all the previous poems leading mm-hmm. up to that line build up this case here of why he, he mentioned, he says this line, Mm-hmm. and why and why it's necessarily not wrong mm-hmm. cuz it's supposed to point out this this indifference but uh I'm kind of getting ahead of myself cuz it's it kind of ties into the next poem and I know I know Vanessa you want to talk about it but I don't know if we're if we're done with this one just yet are we
1: yeah i think um i i i think that's a good transition for it
3: go ahead Vanessa
0: so the next <laughs>
3: I'm sorry i didn't
0: <laughs> no man <laughs> um so the next one is another continuation of mexican heaven so this is going to be the fifth part of mexican heaven um i think this one's my favorite to have him read like in person like this this verse because he he pauses and he kind of like he does laugh sometimes so i think it's I think it's probably one of my favorite stanzas that he reads. I don't know how to transition from that. (laughs) Um, Maybe
3: do you want to just read it? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I can read it. Okay. There are white people in heaven too. They build condos across the street and ask the Mexicans to speak English. I'm just kidding. There are no white people in heaven. That was a
3: good, that was a good, uh, in the spirit of Jose. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I, yeah. I actually really uh, do love you. the way I really love the uh, way he reads this one too um, in public uh, he definitely has, has a way of delivering that line um, like you said Vanessa I'm just kidding there are no white people in heaven mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's a line that you know can be very uh, polemic <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know that's that's really the point I was just trying to make is that this is something that I think he's drawing attention to in the previous poems, this this uh, issue of race, and why he says a line like this, something like this. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. The um, you know because it is kind of um, that volta, right? That turn that we have talked about in his poems here. Of you know you you feel you know it's kind of like a like a basketball game, right? Like you feel you're going one way but all of a sudden, you know, someone comes right behind you and like seals the ball for me. Right. And, um, huh. so I, I kind of feel like this is what he does, you know, that's very effective. Um, and, uh, the humor also, you know, I think is, um, is something that it's, it's a dark humor in a way, oh, yeah, but I think it's also lighthearted, you know, um, because like he had said in the interview, he wrote this, you know, for, um, um, with an immigrant in mind, you know, and I think audience kind of what you were saying, Mm -hmm. Richie, um, I can't remember when you said it, but you said it once, uh, you know, that audience is always very important when it comes to like who you're, what you're writing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so I think that in itself, if we think about the, the how it fits into the whole of, the other Mexican heavens we've seen, I think it's interesting in terms of, well, you know, this is the heaven that is heaven to a lot of Mexican immigrants, right? Because, like, there's no justification from the condos and, you know, Mexicans can speak Spanish without feeling like they're going to be ousted uh, for speaking their home language.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you also have for such a short poem. Um, I mean, that that's also a, a thread to pull on is the whole speak English debate, right? Um, mm-hmm. Again, there's no national language, right? <laughs> but uh, there are certainly people who would make you feel that make you feel that way. And, yeah, um, I uh, in preparation before we actually interviewed Jose, I, I was um, I went on YouTube and and, and was uh, watching some of his readings. And so one was actually at a at a high school, I think. And so he read this one uh, later in the Q and A. He actually did have a student like ask him, <laughs> "Hey, mm-hmm. why 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 do you say that? There's no white people, you know." And they, they took offense to it. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think Jose pretty much mentioned what what we've been talking about is that you know, I mean, first of all, yes, it is you know it's supposed to be lighthearted. More of a joke, a dark humor kind of thing, but in, in the sense, it's not because, of course, um, the the whoever asked the question was like, well, what if I said like there are no Mexicans in heaven, you know? And so he mentioned, well, you know, the in terms of racial politics, it's it's a little different because you have the hegemony, you have you know, again, the the larger structural system that that's I think being addressed here, and it does make a lot of people uncomfortable, especially. Obviously a lot a lot of white people because I think we all hear this when um people also criticize the whole idea of white privilege when when they say, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm white, where's my privilege? Um, but I think the, the point about it is that it's it's something you don't even realize is there. You know? Right. So I thought that was the Yeah, that's yeah, my bad. I thought that was an interesting uh thing that I observed during this, this video I saw. Yeah,
1: hmm. yeah I, I I wanna mm-hmm. watch that now.
3: Yeah, I can't remember which video it was, but I mean if you just look up uh you know Jose Olivares reading, um it's it's one where he's like on a on an auditorium like stage. Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. But the Q and A's are like at the end of the of the video.
1: Right. And Vanessa, you had uh mentioned that this was one of your favorite uh you know, in terms of the seeing it live. Uh but what else did you like about it?
0: Mm, Well, I like that it's a smaller piece of, Mm -hmm. like, a bigger whole poem. I like that it's split up throughout the collection, like, Mm -hmm. by stanzas. Mm, I also like that it's, like, it is lighthearted. Like, it's not, like, a serious, or it's not so serious. Like, there are serious Mm -hmm. elements to it, but it's not completely, like, serious.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of that tongue-in-cheek humor that... You know the implication, of course, is that you know they're in hell, right? And so that kind of <laughs> that kind of does make mm-hmm. it dark, but um, you know, to a believer. Um, but I think it's it's just like Richie was saying; it's one way of looking at the inequalities and injustices of you know, like if 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 there's something that they've done that is wrong, you know, to a whole people, right? Whether it's immigrants or minorities in general. African-Americans, et cetera, uh, then it's something that there's punishment for that to Mexican immigrants, you know, brings about that comfort, you know? And that's why I think that this poem works so well, you know, when it's delivered live and with an audience, um, you know, because there is that kind of, well, you know, like if you're not following along, if you've never heard the poem, if you don't have it, you are you, kind of misled you know and so there is kind of that relief that comes in with the last couplet
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: um the one that i that i had next uh was poem in which i become Wolverine. Yeah, but same. um uh, this one uh to me was the most complex from the from this section um you know not just the, the second page that kind of turns it into like a dual columned poem uh, that makes it readable in different ways. Um, but even from the first page, you know, uh, does the, the spacing, you know, that in terms of its form, I think is, 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 uh, is, is interesting. And, um, aside from that, um, you know, to me naturally, and to, as I'm sure to you all as well, like I was trying to, you know, the reference to yeah. El Paso, um, and, of course, even though it's not a positive reference, I think it's a reality, you know, that ICE does conduct raids here, uh, as they do in other immigrant communities. And um, so that, you know, jumped out at me. Um, and, you know, the, the it's referenced uh, as well, you know, the, the ICE officers in the couple stances below about cubs ready to bite. You know, and so I really like in this one the imagery of the claws and animalistic imagery, uh, referencing Wolverine. You know, which um, kind of comes to to, um, to a head. You know, on, on page thirty eight, where um, I don't know if any of you had uh, marked. You know, when the the allusion to Wolverine. You know, becomes. I know my rage is a poison. I know it kills me first. And so I love it and feed it. I mean, I can see it like the last scene of a movie. Um, And to me, Wolverine, you know, always stood out as uh, an anti-hero and, uh, you know, someone who was very conflicted and um, was indeed full of rage. But, you know, the ideal ghost was that Professor X kind of tamed him. And um, the, the rage that we see here, you know, is the recognition of, like, how they're being um, subjugated, they're being oppressed, and um, um, their people are dying. You know, their people are being taken by ICE, you know, detained. And of course, uh, it's it's even worse now under this presidency. And, and there's, uh, of course, you know, still uh, kids being detained. And just like today, I was hearing about how kids were being transported through the airport, you know, being exposed to the virus potentially um so um i feel you know the the idea of rage is something that of course is very um, uh prototypical of of what minorities feel but how the speaker here you know realizes that just like the invisible man you know it's something that can kill him um so uh, that's what i really liked about it you know like just like wolverine the idea that uh if you don't control it it is a, it is a poison yeah. to you and it is a poison to your community if you give into that because you know someone might shoot you or what have you
3: mm-hmm. yeah i mean this this poem is is to me one of the top in the entire book and the fact that um <clears throat> It's it's powerful. I, th- I think it really does um, pack a punch, um, in the sense. First of all, in which, again, he sets up um, this larger picture of how the government is implicit in in these actions. And and I guess, first of all, my thoughts go to you know in this in this time of COVID nineteen and the pandemic of of these these people still detained. You know these children and and families separated. This is still here, and and um, man, it's really heavy thinking about them. And you know, you mentioned mm-hmm. you know the the reference to El Paso, and um, you know, I've I've driven by several instances of of raids, and it is rage inducing a little bit, especially to see the the human reaction to it. I guess. I remember one time mm-hmm. I was I was uh, leaving Power at the Pass and um, it's over in Central for those of you guys who are listening and uh, driving up Piedras it was a very interesting scene where there was a, a truck there pulled over almost in the middle of the intersection and someone was being detained yeah. the driver uh, and you had his family uh, broken down and crying and yelling and that was very hard to see and and not you know the idea of not feeling something during that is a scary thing where you know makes me it makes me believe in mons in monsters that don't look like monsters but like humans um and and i just think in the beginning he kind of talks about you know even even in the world he talks about bombs punctuate everyday like a period talking about watching the news and and not just economic disaster but global disasters right he talks about global warming and and um yeah i think what also gets me is when he he kind of starts to as you mentioned the poem slowly pulls apart from each other and there's this mm. ideology here of creating an enemy out of immigrants right and he does this by the speaker of the of the poem talks about this by creating abuelas into these dangerous people right knives in their braids knives in their hips um a children's song becomes invasion orders and it's this this very scary and real reality like when i you know i don't like to spend a lot of time on facebook but when i i see like articles put up Oh man, I read some of the comments people put. It's very, very scary. You know, <laughs> and it's like these are mm-hmm. real people believing these saying these things. Um, you know, Sana Sana Kulita Rana. We all know that as a healing saying, right? But that becomes that becomes an invasion order, mm-hmm. right? Nice ice officer is ready to bite the hands of a fourth grader. Uh and and again, the rage becomes this embodied in the image of Wolverine, this, this, uh, this fighter here. And um, as the poem splits up on the page, we all know where this is going, where it's going, where you see he, he brings in the police, the cops. Right. And we all know how it ends. Roll credits. So just, you know, again, I'm sorry for talking so much, but, there is so much to talk about and unpacking these poems once again. So, I mean, I'm going to stop there just because I, I feel like I'm rambling and getting very emotional and a little bit angry while talking about this.
1: No, not, not, you didn't ramble at all. And I think, um, you know, you made a lot of good points.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Vanessa, what did you think of this one?
0: I mean, I feel like you guys hit all of the points, <laughs> Richie especially. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like—there's one line that stood out to me, or one stanza, I guess, towards the bottom of the—well, at the bottom of the page of of 37, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um, where it says, My enemies aren't ugly-faced crooks. They don't laugh while innocent die. They point and say how tragic, then go home to pet their cute dogs. And I kind of—you were saying earlier about, like, the Facebook comments that he sees, like, it's people that aren't really trying to make changes— in society they're just like oh that's so mm-hmm. terrible and then they just continue on with their lives kind of thing so i just i wanted to mention right. that stanza i think
1: yeah the the apathy that richie had talked about earlier with um the other poem you know uh, uh, referencing weasel and um um you know what what's what's the worst kind what's the opposite of love you know um I think to me, the the second to last stanza right above yours is also interesting, you know, because of the microaggressions and the way that, I mean, they're not even micro, I think, you know, I think, you know, it's kind of emphasized there, what is assimilation but living death, right? And so the idea that, you know, you, you are in a way losing yourself, yourself as in two words, in the sense that. By assimilating you're kind of turning your back on your your people you know uh, kind of goes back to the hit you give again um, but uh, you know it's another way that like you were saying Richie about the hegemony in um, the the sense of um, you know it's it's controlled by by using this way of, of just enforcing the language, you know, and it starts there, you know, it doesn't have to start at like people, uh, ICE officers and ICE itself, you know, only existing since 2003, just to give people perspective that, you know, it's this relatively new agency of Homeland security that uh, doesn't even have to start with the raids. You know, it could start in the classroom. It could start in the streets You know, with those kinds of things that are not even necessarily micro, but just ways that people are made to feel different. And ultimately, um, like you were saying, Vanessa, uh, that people point out the tragedy in it, but then don't even do anything about it. You know, they're just kind of inert and, you know, shut Mm -hmm. their homes. Wow. I think we all had um, Mexican-American disambiguation Mm -hmm. on 41. And uh, I think this is another one, you know, where like we were talking about the Jose performing. Uh, this is another one where I always enjoy him performing, um, and it's all one one stanza, um, and um, I think it's very complex because of how it's kind of like a. I see mm. it as like a domino effect, you know, like. It starts by referencing his parents being Mexican, you know, but then he brings up Mexican Americans and Chicanos, and he kind of just goes back and forth between those identities, you know, because it's just the complexity, right? And hence the title of disambiguation. What stood out to you all on this one?
0: Mm, I noticed that this one does go from English to Spanish. A lot more than the other ones did.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, Like there's specific phrases that he says. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Why do you think that is? The jumping between one language, one tongue and another?
0: I think it's just more representation of who he feels he is. This idea of like having Mm. this Americanized version of himself, but also he still very much has these Mexican roots. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you said it was more. You saw it as kind of like a domino effect, and I kind of saw it as more of like this back and forth of like the, these two cultures.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The
3: push and pull. Yeah. To me, this is another like one of the strongest poems in the entire collection. Um, and and I, I related a lot to the the opening poem and the title of the book, "Citizen Illegal," which um, again it brings up the concept of identity um, and that's identity tied into um, self-identity, how how we identify ourselves and even more so how that there's a discrepancy between that and how other people see us. Right. Um, it's a lot of, um, and, and again, a lot of that has to do with coming from different backgrounds and, and even then Right, depending on where you're at, people will call you different things, and he references this to his parent about his parents, even though they call himself Mexicanos, right mm-hmm. in Mexico, right? Uh, they're called referred to something else, right? And um, even he brings up this this concept of Chicano, right, and what Chicano means. Um, and and I think something that I think is pretty interesting is how he idealizes this, this concept of of Chicano. And so, for those of you who are listening, and in, in Chicano studies classes, for example, right, it's it's such an interesting concept, right? But it's it's all about that that kind of generational gap and and, and reconciling with with previous generations of of our backgrounds. I, I identify as Chicano, but I think it's interesting how an aspect of that is the the fancy college degrees, as he calls it, right, and a few tattoos. I think it's really interesting today. Um, ben signs. Uh, on Facebook, <laughs> there's Facebook again, right? <laughs> um, he actually mm-hmm. made a, a very interesting post. It was uh, National Siblings National Siblings Day, and so a lot of people were posting mm-hmm. pictures with their siblings and leaving some thoughts. So, in Ben's post, he he uh, posted a, a photo of his two younger brothers, which, by the way, they have a crazy family resemblance, <laughs> right? Um, but you know, his post was talking about how how growing up he was told he's not Chicano or not even growing up, but like how now he's told he's not Chicano enough and what that means, you know? And, and he, he says, he doesn't apologize for going to a, to a, a good school, right. And learning and and all that. But, you know, he says, if, so if anyone ever questions me, I show them this picture of my brothers, you know, and they're, you know, it's, it, it's family resemblance, but, you know, they're wearing bandanas and longer hair. And uh, I just, when I read this, I thought of that post right away because it was fresh in my mind. But, you know, talking about, again, the disambiguation, I think that you guys, how did you how you guys all describe it? So, dominoes, how did you describe it, Vanessa?
0: Like a pushing pool kind of thing.
3: Oh, pushing a pool. Okay. Oh, I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it's like a... Uh, cascading into chaos, you know, of, of, of identity. But uh, I, I really like how he draws the the parallels of even how how uh, he talks about the two are cousins, meaning that they're they're not the same, but they're closely related, right? Um, and he talks about that with the American Dream and and the phrase ro- royally effed. I'm not going to say the word because I don't want to. You know, it's a podcast. Mm-hmm. you want everyone to hear it but he has that line right we effed should not be confused with the american dream although the two are cousins um and and i think it all leads up to to this idea of of, again how of identity um ending with what the government calls non-white hispanic or white hispanic um who parents call mijo, even when I don't come home so much. So again, a lot of it has to do with place as well, and who's observing. You know, right now we're we're all dealing with the 2020 census, and um, you know I think and my parents call me mijo. So in the end, he's mijo. and I, which I kind of like. They bring he brings it back home.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Sorry, that was that was a, a rambling mess again. I'm so yeah, sorry. <laughs>
1: No, no. I mean, it kind of just like you were seeing the 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 cascading chaos (laughs) or the beautiful confusion. You could say, (laughs) uh, is um, very true, right? Because it does pivot on on the on the point of view. You know whether it's it's the, the, the 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 academia or the the familia or themselves right of whether they're going to be called diverse whether they're going to be just you know um called bingos because they're americanized mexicans or whether they're going to be in this case you know chicano which like you were saying is has a lot of uh, different definitions you know and uh in this case it's kind of a you know it's the way it's interpreted, right? Is kind of still something that is elitist, yeah. right? Because it's a fancy college degree. Um, so I think, you know, like you were saying, those who are listening in a Chican X course, you know, there's a lot of uh, different ways of interpreting the Chican X bo- movements and a Chican X identity, you know, and even just removing the CH and replacing it with the X and making it gender neutral so that it's not a no yeah. right but it's just an nexus there as well um goes back to you know to the schism of the chicano movement with gloria and zoldua um and how women you know weren't mm-hmm. really recognized in that movement and um how there's a lot of machismo as well but within the chicano movement as by you know some uh, different ways um so i think you know, that is what makes this a poem that represents just all the complexities of identity yeah. mushed into one, right? And um, why it's so difficult for many, you know, when it comes to the senses, like you say there at the end, of just, well, who am I, right? Like, what am I? And how Rameska has a great video on that. I don't know if y'all have seen it, but they have a great video on the senses and why,
3: right. you know, it is kind of problematic Hispanic, in every Right It's so... Strang- strangling mm-hmm. to a lot of people who might not identify that way. Right? Exactly. Vanessa, were there any
1: lines that um you related to or that you found interesting and in, mm. themselves?
0: At the beginning I liked the when it says um I am a Chicano from Chicago, which means I'm a Mexican American with a fancy college degree and a few tattoos, which I think we already touched on. Um, and I think that kind of comes in and out throughout the poem. He mentions it a couple of times. Um, mm-hmm. The food, the idea of food in this one, I thought was interesting also. Towards the end of, well, towards mm-hmm. the bottom of page 41, um, he wrote... Um, mm-hmm. Everything in me is diverse, even when I eat American foods like hamburgers, which, to clarify, are American when a white person eats them, and diverse when my family eats them. I thought that was, I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: I think the idea of college in this one also um, the yeah. idea of um putting um I guess diverse people on the brochures to showcase that the university is diverse was interesting. Um, right. And I think the way that this kind of ties into all of the previous poems and the idea of like being a good Mexican son and what it is to be Mexican American.
1: Yeah. Like, like juggling all the, all that, you know, whether it's like placating Mm -hmm. what your parents want in you, um, and your parents themselves, you know, in this case, the parents are undocumented, you know, and so that kind of is a whole thing unto itself and um, how there's that uh, undue burden, right, that is referenced in the other poem about how the, the good, the quote unquote good Mexican son mm-hmm. is seen as like the salvation, right, the, the solution to the, 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 the sacrifices, you know, that the parents had made because they're undocumented to come here for the American dream is something that now the onus is on the, you know, the college, the Gore here. uh, And which is true of many, you know, immigrants and many first, of course, many first generation immigrants. Um, So I think it's a really interesting way of uh, representing all that. And the chaotic nature of, of like, well, who, how do I, how do I succeed in academia while remaining true to my to my um you know to my roots and to my culture you know even in something like you said about the food that he chooses to eat you know and I think um it goes back to that taco yeah. that the i mean mm-hmm. not taco, but the crunch wrap supreme that is you know the Mexican is folded into in the other poem that you know, you, us who are identified as, as Mexican or Mexican American, um, you know, it's not even a burrito, right. It's a crunch wrap. And so the, even the identity of, of it as a Mexican food staple <laughs> is, is taken away, you know, we, well,
3: <laughs> so, yeah, no. you know, I, don't know. I, can, I, was, I, I was just laughing on how, how about uh, how people Bell, call but, it wraps. <laughs> God, God mm-hmm. forbid you call it a a, a burrito yes <laughs>
1: right there there's a great YouTube video about it I don't know if you have seen but um you know someone who made a parody of of um Tim James running uh-huh. for governor of Missouri or something uh and someone made a parody uh-huh. because he wanted people to speak English or like uh, English only driver's license exams and someone made a great parody of like how they're going to turn everything into uh, English, you know. So even like Starbucks, um, venti and all that was going to turn into like small, mediums, <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah.
1: small, large, and middle or something like good. that. i Have to but, check it out. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Um, yeah, I show it to my classes, you know, as a way of talking about language and how people can have bad intentions, even though they might seem like they are really just trying to make yeah. it for economic wow. reasons. You know, so that's, that's the end of, of the third section. Wow. It's a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this week's episode discussing Citizen Illegal by Jose Olivares. And if you haven't read it, we hope we inspire you to pick up a copy. Literally Literary is brought to you by the Mellon Foundation through the Humanities Collaborative at EPCC and UTEP. Follow us on Instagram at literallyliterary.ep and on Twitter at literallylitep.